Welcome to the Winner's Guide to Losing Football Bets. I am your host, Paul. I am evaluating what each team needs to improve for the next season, going worst to first based on last season's standings. This week we are looking at teams 25 through 28, and at the end of this episode, I have a special NFL Draft preview. Team 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two years ago, Shad Khan seemingly set this team back years by hiring professional asshole Urban Meyer. As humans go, I rate Urban Meyer slightly better than Deshaun Watson. But Watson has an opportunity to become a better person, see how he has affected and hurt those in his life, and be a catalyst for growth and understanding of how we treat each other. Urban Meyer has shown no remorse for the ways he has left each institution he has coached, leaving a cloud of scandal while hiding behind medical jargon. With the Jaguars, he treated his opportunity as a right. He flew on the company dime and stayed to play with a nickel slut. I want this to be known. You see a Mark who is willing to lose everything he has, slut it up. Take him for everything he has because he clearly is unworthy of owning or keeping it. So fuck Urban Meyer. And while I'm not a big Doug Peterson fan, he brings a rural attitude and work ethic. And with some solid drafting, they turned one of the worst teams in the NFL into a playoff caliber team. On offense, Christian Kirk looks like a Mexican dressing up as a white guy in blackface. I hate saying that because the dude bet on himself, got a huge payday despite little production in Arizona, and made everyone look foolish for doubting him, including myself. Calvin Ridley also bet on himself and missed an entire year for it. Because as we all know, gambling is far worse than sexual assault. In the backfield, Travis Etienne bounced back nicely from a Linz Frank injury that took his rookie year away from him, and he should find himself in a great position in his third year to really build off of his sophomore season. They also like tight end Evan Ingram, but don't have much depth beyond him. The most important player on this team is Trevor Lawrence, a player looking disheveled, and poorly treated in his rookie season, Lawrence more than doubled his touchdowns while more than halving his interceptions the following year. Another season with Peterson and throwing to receivers like Kirk and Ridley could see another significant bump in quarterback play in a division with two teams likely in the bottom third of the league and the Titans as a fringe 500 team. Defensively, The Jaguars have a lot of young players to still build on a unit that wasn't great, but was generally adequate. The team wasn't in a great salary position, which is shocking considering how they've finished the last few years, but still hampered their ability to go out and sign players who could help contribute and mentor some of these young players on this team. They were one of the worst pass defenses in the league, despite playing nine teams in the bottom half of the league in passing offense. This should be a focal point in the draft, 
as their front line has benefited from decent drafting and development over the last few seasons. Team needs. Tight end, secondary, running back, wide receiver. This is supposedly a great draft for tight ends. And you don't ever really know what round a great tight end will fall. So the Jaguars can wait a few rounds to focus on this need. Secondary should be a focal point in the first three rounds and beyond in the draft. And like tight ends, don't chase a running back or two early, but wait until the fourth round and later to grab a couple versatile backs. Christian Kirk should benefit from having Calvin Ridley on the other side of the ball, but Calvin has missed more than a season and a half after his suspension and initial time away to focus on mental health. Drafting a wide receiver seems necessary for depth and future needs. Projection I really like the Jaguars coming into this season to build on what they established last year. And with a solid draft, they can really begin to place themselves into the conversation just as Cincinnati has done the last few seasons. Joe Burrow has been electric for the Bengals, but has three studs at wide receiver. And Lawrence was a shade behind in yards, 10 less touchdowns, but four less interceptions. If Lawrence even has a marginal increase in production, he will close in on Burrow-like numbers, and in the AFC South, they should run away with the division. I give the Jaguars an 85% chance of making the playoffs. Team 26, the New York Giants. In 2011, the San Francisco 49ers signed Jim Harbaugh to be head coach after building a solid roster with little in return. Disenfranchised franchise quarterback Alex Smith looked to be the odd man out, yet led the team to the playoffs behind a strong running game and somehow found themselves in the NFC Championship game. The next season, they were rolling again, but an injury to Alex Smith finally derailed his resurrection and his rise as savior of the 49ers organization. A common nemesis of the 49ers in the 80s and 90s was the New York Giants. And now they face a similar situation with Daniel Jones. Brian Dayball took the Giants to the playoffs on the strength of an opportunistic defense, a solid run game, and a much maligned quarterback who might be the future of the organization, but probably isn't. Offensively, Saquon Barkley is the offense. Daniel Jones only had five interceptions last season, but only threw for 15 touchdowns, which was 21st in the league. But behind him, there were 11 other quarterbacks who had a higher touchdown percentage while playing less games and still playing substantial time to give a good sample size. There is little reason to talk about anyone on the Giants' offense other than Daniel Jones and Barkley, because that is all they have. Daniel Bellinger had some spot moments at tight end and could be a player to watch in fantasy leagues, but only in keeper leagues. Isaiah Hodgins could be a third-year wide receiver that makes that big jump into fantasy production value, but I will need to see a lot more from Daniel Jones to make Hodgins a player I'd draft in the first 10 rounds. Defense, 
the Giants have signed some nice players on the defensive side of the ball, clearly to establish as the dominant side of this team. But it still needs work. They have great young talents in Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Aguilari, and with newly acquired Bobby Okereke and a slew of draft picks, Dayball could be quickly building a flash in the pan. Team needs. Quarterback. Daniel Jones is not that guy. There is reasonable balance throughout the team. No great need, but no great area. And when you are paying Daniel Jones $40 million a year, just under 20% of your team's salary cap, there is no reason to look at any other position group as a need. The Giants are investing a lot in Daniel Jones. And while wins are the end game, 15 touchdowns don't fucking cut it. You are still looking up at the Cowboys and the Eagles, and in that scenario, 20 touchdowns doesn't cut it. This is a terrible contract for the Giants, and unless Jones is closer to 25 to 30 touchdowns with a similar 5 to 8 interception rate, then you stand a great chance of missing the playoffs. Projection. I'm going to give the Giants a 35% chance of making the playoffs. Because while I believe Daniel Jones is closer to his 15 touchdowns a season, he is also more likely to increase his interception rate, which is the top in the league last year. And I don't see him maintaining that number. Team 27, the Dallas Cowboys. When you think of the Dallas Cowboys, you think of Tom Landry, Roger Staubach, Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin. Few teams have legacies as long as the Steelers, but the Cowboys are right up there, which is hard for Cowboy fans to acknowledge Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott as reasons for optimism. And I'm not going to try and convince you that Mike and Dak are the players and coaches future generations will look at when they remember these teams. And this is no shot at Dak. He is a top 12 quarterback in the league, a guy good enough to win, but not good enough to be the reason they win. He could be a quarterback that San Francisco won three Super Bowls with. But with the Cowboys, well, he's, he's thrown more than one touchdown in only one of his last five playoff games, and that just isn't going to cut it unless you have a top 10 rushing offense and a top 10 overall defense. Offensively, Gone is the bloated contract of Ezekiel Elliott, who just couldn't put together a strong season after receiving a massive contract. And the emergence of Tony Pollard made this an easier move for the Cowboys to stomach. With the mid-rift adrift, the Cowboys looked for other mouths to feed and quickly found Brandon Cooks, a receiver who had two seasons of over a thousand yards receiving with a bad Houston team. In Dallas, he should pair nicely with CeeDee Lamb. However, losing Dalton Schultz to the same Texans takes away a great red zone weapon. This draft is supposedly great for tight ends, so look for Dallas to make an early move at this spot. The issue with Dallas is Dak in the playoffs. You simply need more production, and in my eyes, more savvy. Dak just doesn't look comfortable in the playoffs. If he can play loose, Dallas is one of the top teams in the NFL. When he plays skittish, 
they're merely average. Defensively, Micah Parsons. Most teams would finish with a stingy defense if they had Parsons. And as a defensive coordinator, you build the rest of your team around this man. This front seven is designed more for pass rush than stopping the run. And have found nice playmakers in the secondary, but what has hurt this team is they have drafted 17 defensive players in the last three years, but have only converted three into starters. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. They have great depth on defensive side of the ball with players who know Dan Quinn's system, but you'd like to not have to trade for players to fill out your starters, as they did with Stephen Gilmore, a player who is 32 years old. Team needs. Tight end, defensive line, young starters on the defensive side of the ball. I've already discussed what Dallas should do at tight end, but the defense needs to hit on more defensive draft picks. Trayvon Diggs looked to be on an upward trajectory, but the league looks to have figured him out. Dallas can do a lot of damage in the middle rounds with six picks from the second round through the fifth. Projection. The Cowboys will be right there in the NFC East. Mike McCarthy is taking over at play calling after letting Boise State loser Kellen Moore move on to the San Diego North. So when he is fired after another playoff appearance with no NFC Championship appearance to show for it, he will only have himself to blame. Dan Quinn will be the coach in 2024, but the Cowboys will make the playoffs 95% sure. Team 28, the Buffalo Bills. The Bills have made it to the playoffs the last four years in a row, and each time it feels like they were on the cusp of something great. I'd feel bad for Buffalo, but I exhausted all of my feels for them in the early 90s when they lost four Super Bowls in a row. 14-year-old me didn't actually understand how monumental and monumentally devastating that feat is in the context of the sport. I feel privileged that my San Francisco 49ers have at least made the NFC Championship game three of the last four years, and the Bills made it to the Super Bowl four years in a row and lost every fucking time. That is brutal. That had never happened in the history of sports and has not been duplicated since. The fortunate joke we can all make is that Jim Kelly could beat cancer, but not the NFC. And now I'm sad, because cancer fucking sucks. Jim Kelly is a champion in my eyes. Offense. As Josh Allen goes, so goes the offense. This was a top five passing offense and a top 10 rushing offense. However, the latter was due to Josh Allen's ability to run. The Bills have struggled to find a playmaker in the run game. And if second year running back James Cook can't pick up the mantle, then Allen will be on the run again and subjecting himself to hits he shouldn't be taking this deep into his career. And with playmakers like Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, if Buffalo can present a decent run game, this should limit the mistakes Josh Allen has made in the red zone this past season. And one 
god-awful fumble in his own end zone in one of my favorite games of the year against Minnesota. Defense. Buffalo employs one of the few defensive groups that is greater because of the sum, not because of the one. Dallas has Micah Parsons, San Francisco has Nick Bosa, and Philadelphia has Hassan Reddick. Buffalo has a lot of solid players all around the board. They dealt with a lot of injuries last year, and other than a few heartbeats, specifically in the secondary, they never really missed a beat in being one of the top defenses in the league. Now, one of the great moments I'm looking forward to this upcoming season will be seeing DeMar Hamlin taking the field. His first snap will solidify his Comeback Player of the Year award, and I would just like to say how impactful it was to see the country reach out and sending support to his charity, the Chasing M's Foundation, and to the city of Cincinnati, who are extremely moved, motivated, and hopeful of a positive outcome to their fallen opponent. Team needs. Running game. And don't dwell on the past. As a fantasy owner of James Cook, I hope he is the answer. But when you look at an organization who has been so close, yet so far from winning at all, it can be hard to remove yourself from that stigma. Were the Chicago Cubs not good enough to win a World Series for 108 years, or was the weight of that time a ball and chain? Projection. As long as Josh Allen plays every game, this team is 100% making the playoffs. The question is how far do they go? I saw enough chinks in the armor to believe this team may not have the right mindset to win it all. Doesn't Josh Allen feel like this era's version of Dan Marino? Buffalo has the pieces to win it all, but it feels as if some cosmic force is holding them back. The 2023 NFL Draft I would be remiss if I didn't say a little something about the draft that is happening the day after I record this. I am not a scout. I am not a talent evaluator. I loathe most mock drafts and find the public's need to have mock drafts for the following year, the day after this year's draft has just concluded, is moronic. There is no reason for this other than to create content for idiots who need to click on a sports story. And for tomorrow's draft, I don't even care who picks who at what position. It doesn't matter. History has shown that teams don't know what they are getting with their picks. Like, this is their job to find and select players to improve their teams, and everyone whiffs. San Francisco has bombed in some of their first-round picks, but has found talent in Debo Samuel in the second round, Fred Warner in the third round, George Kittle, Drake Greenlaw, Talanoa Hufunga in the fifth round, and Brock Purdy with the last pick in the 2022 draft. Nobody knows what the fuck they are getting, so shut the fuck up and just watch the games. I literally get tweets about draft picks visiting teams. I don't care. I don't fucking care, and neither should you. If this is something you care about, and you are not an employee of an NFL team, get a hobby. Get a fucking hobby outside of sports, you mongoloid. Read a book. Learn the art of beekeeping. Expand your horizons. 
Live a life that doesn't allow you to be a slobbering asshole over a human a team has enslaved into their organization for the next few years. Enjoy the entertainment. Don't be the entertainment. Next week, we will be concluding our rundown of every team in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. I am Paul for the Winner's Guide to Losing Football Bets.